Hi, this is Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. babies. I hope you've all enjoyed the first few episodes of Professional Skepticism. Please let me know what you think of the format. I really like giving you guys a brief history of the topic and then kind of just diving straight into the juicy pieces, but I'm curious to know if you guys are liking it so far, if you'd rather see it a different way. I'm open to hearing about it, so definitely feel free to reach out to me via any of the social media platforms that I have. You can reach out to me via DM. So my goal is to have guests on every now and then, probably every five or so episodes, depending on the topics and who I can convince to come on the show. My DMs are open to topic suggestions as well, so for the time being, just send them to me there. I'll probably try to set up a submission forum for that somewhere to make it nice and streamlined. You know, maybe I'll make a website, who knows, Uh, or like a Google form, that could be cool. I've already got over 100 episode topics logged, and I categorized them in the following groups. So white collar crime, as we've already seen some, violent crimes and convictions, wrongful convictions, scandals, history, cults, conspiracies, paranormal, and miscellaneous. So some of these topics do overlap, but I tried to categorize them based on the way that my brain lumps them together. So regardless, this has been super fun, super exciting. I've been having a lot of fun Um, And that's the whole point of this, right? So I'm learning alongside you all. I'm so incredibly thankful and grateful to all of you for your support and engagement. Like you guys have literally been in, like, I can't even put into words how fucking incredible you guys are. So nice. So loving. The nicest thing that you can do for me is to share this podcast, rate it on whatever podcast platform you have. Um, Hopefully a five-star rating or four-star. I don't know how high up it goes. And just share it with your friends. I love you guys. God, every time I start to record, my mouth gets so dry. Like, I think it's probably just because I'm sitting in my closet. It's probably dry in here or something. But every time I sit down in here and I start talking, I'm like, oh my God, I could drink a waterfall right now. Okay. Today's topic is a follow-up-ish, kind of like it branches off of a topic we've discussed already. So it's a follow-up to one of the episodes I've already released which doesn't really narrow it down that much because pretty much anytime I mention somebody or a topic within an episode, I've been like, oh yeah, I think we're going to do a podcast episode on that. So this is branching off of McCainy Manor. Today's episode, I don't want to say unfortunately, but unfortunately this topic has been on my mind a lot recently ever since I brought it up in the McCainy Manor episode. I don't really have a snazzy way to introduce it to you guys other than to say today's topic is cannibal chat rooms. So let's get started. We're going to cover quite a bit today. I want to talk mostly about the modern history of cannibalism because I have a feeling if I did the entire history of cannibalism, we'd be having discussions about ancient civilizations and stuff, which I'm sure is super interesting But I'd rather get into the juicy internet cannibalism and how it relates to sexuality and how 
Um, we'll see many of these chat room conversations are very sexual in nature. Then we can discuss some specific instances pertaining to cannibalism and cannibalism chat rooms. And let me just preface this all by saying that while we are only four episodes into the podcast and I've somehow managed to talk about cannibalism twice now, I am not promoting or encouraging cannibalism in any way, shape, or form. Definitely not my thing. But as we all know, and if you don't know, I'm telling you now, this is a totally safe space for all identities, sexualities, races, ethnicities, religions, personal beliefs, kinks, fetishes, interests, and literally any other identifying characteristic of a person, so long as everyone's being respectful, open-minded, and kind. I do, however, encourage discussions, debates, suggestions, feedback, and conversations. Have them with me, have them with each other, whatever. Just be fucking nice while you do it, please. And with that being said, I am not about to judge someone for having a cannibalism kink or fetish because I do not kink or fetish shame. A lot of people have a lot of weird kinks for a lot of different reasons. And fantasizing is different than taking action, but this show wouldn't be what it is if I didn't do this. So I'm going to play devil's advocate and toss around this concept of consensual cannibalism. Yep. Stay sus, skeptics. So also I do want to, I guess, give this, I don't know if it's like a trigger warning or a content warning, graphic material is on the way. So if this is not your jam, don't tune in or do and maybe open up your your mind to new possibilities. Who knows? So as a brief look at the history of cannibalism, it appears that it often has been practiced for medical purposes. You know, back when doctors were also barbers which might be a fun episode to talk about, Dr. Barbers. Anyways, back in the day, doctors were also barbers, so you could get surgery and a haircut. Shout out to my Flapjack fans. And they thought, you know, maybe you have ghosts in your blood or something, so they, like, prescribe you heroin. Yeah, this is the era that I'm imagining, like, eating people was also seen for medical purposes. So back when we were just doing who knows what the fuck... (laughs) Apparently, eating human flesh was thought to cure some diseases, so. Cannibalism has also been practiced for grieving, religious, and ritualistic purposes, as well as during wars and famines as a means of survival. According to Wikipedia, and this had sources, like, attached to it, I just really liked the way this quote came out. Cannibalism has been said to test the bounds of cultural relativism because it challenges anthropologists, quote, to define what is or is not beyond the pale of acceptable human behavior, unquote. Some scholars argue that no firm evidence exists that cannibalism has ever been a socially acceptable practice anywhere in the world at any time in history, although this has been consistently debated against. So that was all from Wikipedia. I thought that was really interesting. And I'm going to leave it at that because I, I after researching this, I, I've decided that I think that I might do a episode solely on like the history and the folklore and the different purposes of cannibalism, but I'm going to give it some time. I'm going to let this episode marinate. We'll talk about some other things and then maybe we'll come back to that. I don't want to start this podcast off on a weird foot, even though I already am. That's about as far into the history of cannibalism as I'm planning to go for this episode. Let's start off with some definitions that I found on Dr. Mark Griffith's WordPress, which is one of the most exciting things that I've happened to stumble upon in a while. And if you look it up, you'll probably have some judgments to make about me, but the topics of his WordPress 
are the kinds of things that I could stay up all night reading about. I love anything and everything taboo. It just completely fascinates me. So let's let's look at what these like Y2K cannibals were were talking about in these chat rooms. So all the following definitions are taken directly from Dr. Griffith's WordPress. Voraphilia is a sexual paraphilia in which individuals are sexually aroused by one, the idea of being eaten, two, eating another person, and or three, observing this process for sexual gratification. However, most vorophiles' behavior is fantasy-based, although there have been real cases such as Armin Maiwes, the so-called Rotenberg cannibal. And I think vorophilia is one of the more common ones if you've ever been exposed to this kind of conversation like I have. Um, vor is a pretty common topic. Next is errata phonophilia, a sexual paraphilia in which individuals have extreme violent fantasies and typically kill their victims during sex and or mutilate their victims' sexual organs, the latter of which is usually post-mortem. In some cases, the errata phonophiles will eat some of their victims' body parts, usually post-mortem. Many lust murderers, including Jack the Ripper, are suspected of engaging in cannibalistic and or gynophagic acts, taking away part of the female to eat later. Other examples of murderers who have eaten their victims or parts of them for sexual pleasure include Albert Fish, Issei Sagawa, Andre Chikatilo, Ed Gein, and Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm only familiar with Albert Fish, Ed Gein, and Jeffrey Dahmer, and I think a lot of people are familiar with those three, and they're very terrifying, so that's um, just something to note. Sexual necro... Necrophagy. Necrophagy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to look that one up since I can't talk, apparently. Sexual necrophagy refers to the cannibalizing of a corpse for sexual pleasure. This may be associated with lust murder, but Brenda Love in her Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices says that such cases usually involve one whose death the molester did not cause. Many cases of reported necrophilia include cannibalism or other forms of sadism, and it is believed that many others fantasize about doing it. Vampirism, as a sexual paraphilia, in which an individual derives sexual arousal from the ingestion of blood from a living person. Menophilia is a sexual paraphilia in which an individual, almost always male, derives sexual arousal from drinking the blood of menstruating females. On, on their king shit, I guess. Gynophagia is, according to Dr. Anil Agrawal's 2009 book, Forensic and Medico-Legal Aspects of Sexual Crimes and Unusual Sexual Practices. Gynophagia is a sexual fetish that involves fantasies of cooking and consumption of human females. Gynophagia literally means woman eating. There's also a subtype of gynophagia called pathinophagia, this, according to Dr. Brenda Love, is the practice of eating young girls or virgins. Several lust murderers were known to consume the flesh of young virgins, most notably Albert Fish. And so I'm going to find the definitions of kink and fetish for you really quick, just so we know like what the difference is as we're talking about it. Kink increases the partner's pleasure, while fetishism replaces the partner with an object. That could range from a body part or just an inanimate object. I think the way that I have always thought of it is that kink is something that you don't need it, but it's enjoyable and you are interested in it and you'd like to do it. Whereas fetish is when it becomes more of like a obsession or I don't want to say obsession because it does have a negative connotation, but more of like a fascination and it's kind of like a it needs to be involved 
in the sexual act or it's not going to be gratifying for the person who has the fetish. So listen, I, I really do understand that that was a lot. And I think we're going to venture deeper into this gynophagia topic because this seems to be a pretty popular niche of cannibalism. And yes, I figured out Google says it niche, and a lot of people have told me different ways to say it. I'm going to say niche from now on. It is also going to be a nice segue into our next topic, which is the cannibal chat rooms, obviously, those themselves. And then more specifically towards the end, we're going to talk about dulcet girls, um, but we'll come back to that. So one of the first sources I found as I was looking into cannibalism chat rooms was a WordPress by Crypt3ia, Crypt3ia. That's how I'm going to say it. I'm going to say Crypt3A or Crypt3IA. Um, that's just their handle. And the title of this specific blog post was What's Eating You? This person went on the dark web basically to do what I did, which I didn't actually go on the dark web, but they did a lot of research on cannibal chat rooms. They looked up cannibal chat rooms and they just wanted to see what the fuck's going on there. They had the same thought I did. This particular blog post was published in 2017. So, I'm sure a lot has changed. I keep thinking it's 2020. That, that's five years ago. I was like, yeah, that's only three years ago. Apparently, according to this blog, there's not a lot of cannibalism on the dark web. And I don't know if maybe that's just because they don't know how to look for it. Like, I'm sure that there are certain keywords or things that people use within the cannibalism community in order to, you know, keep things private. Because as we're going to find out, a lot of these websites that were on the clearnet did get taken down. And the clearnet just refers to like the regular internet that, you know, your four-year-old niece or nephew knows how to get onto nowadays. So that's probably for the best. But they say that you can still easily find this stuff on the clearnet and that they actually, when they were researching, they found more information on the clearnet than the darknet, which I thought was really weird. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, that's probably just their experience. So one of the OG cannibalism chat rooms back in the day was called Necrobabes.com, which I'm not going to lie, that's kind of badass. Um, their tagline was erotic horror for adults. It was meant to appeal to people who had varying forms of cannibalistic fantasies, primarily of the sexual type. People would submit drawings here, advertise themselves, and just live out their online roleplay fantasies. So it appears that Necrobabes.com fizzled out by 2003, but this website had been up and flourishing for years by this time. In fact, there have been multiple murders associated with this website. Necrobabes was superseded by the Cannibal Cafe Forum, which was stood up by someone who found their home on the Necrobabes site with the screen name Paraloco in 1994. So this website found its start on Necrobabes.com. There is some overlap in the timelines and the users. But let's talk about Paraloco. This guy seems to be somewhat of a hotshot if you will, in the cannibal community. So let's get a little weirder. Apparently, this guy doesn't understand the concept of boundaries, because apparently, and by the way, key word for this episode is apparently, because a lot of this information is like archive information and YouTube videos and people like me who are interested in learning about this, trying to like scrounge together what we can find that's still available on the internet that hasn't been completely washed away. So take with it what you will. Also, of course, everything that's posted on this on these sites is supposedly role play and stuff like that. So like who really knows if this stuff is real? But here we go. Apparently, Harold Loco's daughter 
is on the Cannibal Cafe Forum website, advertising herself, saying that she wants to be eaten and that she hopes she tastes as good as her mother. And I just realized that I did not give you any sort of background information about who this man is other than he's just somebody on Necro Babes who created Cannibal Cafe Forum. And now we're talking about his daughter being on here. So yeah, I mean, this was kind of what it was like for me researching. It was very whiplashy. So like a lot of things went wrong here. I think it's important to talk to your children about sex. Be open about it. But there's, you know, some there's some lines that need to be drawn. And there's also a difference between adult activities and child activities. She was super young when she joined the sites. There's essentially this advertisement on the website for her that states she's 19 years old. She's trained in oral, anal, and toilet torture, which I don't want to know what toilet torture is. She's also trained in slavery. Her breasts are firm, and she's ready to be eaten. They even advertise her as being Chairman Pero Loco's daughter. Yeah, so they call him Chairman because he started the Cannibal Cafe for him. So obviously she was exposed to this at a young age. And, like, don't get me started on the tasting as good as her mom thing. Like, that is so fucked. <laughs> like, did Pero Loco tell her, like, oh, yeah, I ate your mother and she tasted delicious? Like, I'm really genuinely so confused and concerned and curious all the c words i need to know i really need to know and i think like i know people that are in the kink community that they turned 18 and they knew what they wanted to try they knew where they wanted to go they wanted to start going to events and stuff and that's fine the internet exists we find things i just think it's weird that like it's her and her father obviously having open discussions about this and somehow bringing the mother into it. If this is real, it's weird. At the very least, it's weird. The Cannibal Cafe forum had a ton of fascinating stuff on it, including personal ads of people that were wanting to be eaten or wanted to eat people, applications to become livestock, snuff film volunteers, and everything in between. One of the pages on the website was called the California and Midwest Human Female Stockmen's Association. Wow, that was hard for me to say. A screenshot of this website on um, one of the archives states that, quote, we will soon have an online order form where consumers will be able to arrange to purchase or lease C and M H F S A, which is just the abbreviation of that long association I said, livestock. Remember that there is no limitation on the intended or actual use of any of our, quote, cows, but should any leased livestock be terminated during the lease period, you will be invoiced for the, for the full purchase price, end quote. I saw some more, like, screenshots and stuff of the archives, and it looks like the prices aren't too expensive. Like, I think they were talking about one girl, and they were negotiating a price of around $3,500, so... I mean, do what you will with that. The cows, I'm going to refer to them as the cows. The cows undergo a livestock training program under this association for different forms of torture and kink and fetish play. And it gets pretty serious depending on how they want to be terminated, whether it be live roasting, meat hanging, some other form of slaughter, etc., some girls specified that they wanted starring roles in snuff films, and that's how they wanted to go out. So, like, the girls would have what they were trained in, the different types of torture, stats about their body types, age, where they're from, 
tattoos, piercings, how big their boobs and butts are, things of that nature. I, I think I saw the word bruxen a lot. Okay. Yes, it's buxom. Of a woman, this means plump, especially with large breasts. So it would say that these girls are buxom, whatever. You see that word a lot in this community. I guess that's like a, a nice word for them. And some of the girls' pages were very interesting. There was one girl that said, or I guess she didn't post this, but the page for her said that she was involuntarily donated by her boyfriend and he recommended that she be used as a breeder. And then there was conversation going back and forth with people implying that like her babies would be sold for meat. There's also different posts on there where people were like, I'm looking for a 15 or 16 year old boy. Are there any mothers out there that are willing to sacrifice their sons? So it, it I am not cool with the kid stuff. Absolutely not. Like, that's not even a question. Fuck that. Like, like I said at the beginning, I'm accepting, I'm understanding, blah, 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 blah. Do not fucking involve children in this or any sort of sexual thing at all. Anything like this. I don't care if it's role play. Do that in the privacy of your home if you're going to do that. But like, why are you typing this out on the internet talking about, I want to take your kids and I want to breed you and make your babies be meat? Like, it's just weird. But I wanted to throw that out there because that's what's out there to look at. And so that's something you have to consider when you're debating whether this is okay or not. And of course, it's possible that, you know, these women, if they are real women and their stuff was on there and maybe they really aren't consenting, like maybe these are legitimate ads for women that have been sex trafficked. And that's a thought that has definitely popped into my brain, but it's also possible that these are just people taking pictures of women that they know or just women that they found on the internet back in the day and posting them without their permission and coming up with these fake profiles just to fulfill their fantasies. Okay, so we talked about necrobabes. We've introduced you all to the Cannibal Cafe Forum. And honestly, I, I will say I didn't really look too deep into necrobabes because I think it was more than just cannibalism. It was like a lot of different kinks and also... Sadly enough, I did have a hard time finding some of these archives, like the Wayback Machine and archive.org. It was like, it would show me that there was at one point an archive of these websites and then you'd click it and it'd be like, the archive's not available. And I'm not really trying to get computer viruses and stuff. So I didn't really pry too hard in that realm. But Necrobabes, cool ass name, probably a weird site. We talked about it. I've introduced you to the Cannibal Cafe forum. I've introduced you to Paraloco. Let's keep it going. We're just going along. He also had a website called peroloco.net, and it's a private website that you need a username and password to enter. You can still look it up today because I did it. And the date on the website when you open it up says January 20th, 2005. So I think that's probably the last time it was updated, though he is still active in the community. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Or maybe that was just when it was established. I'm not entirely sure what the date is, but 2005. That that's just a date. Let's talk about it. So the title on the site is Mad Dog Interstellar Trading Limited. Is that what the LTD stands for? I'm like a business person. I should know. Let's find out. Okay. Yeah. That stands for limited. So they, it says on the website that they do web design, development, graphic design, and consulting along with his contact information is there for you to use if you need it. It's super eerie. It's like this weird beige color with just some black fonts and a little like paw print. It's made to look like a business website, but also if it's still being used, it looks like a business website from like 2005. Like I mentioned, like it looks really dated. 
It is suspected that this is a private website for cannibal conversations. I did not find anything to substantiate this, but I think people just assume anything associated with him is going to be related to cannibalism because he's very open about his thoughts and feelings about cannibalism. We'll talk a little bit later about some of um, his more recent ventures, but he basically, you know, he's the chairman of the Cannibal Cafe Forum. He describes himself as the mayor of Dulcet, California, which is not a real place unless it is. Somebody correct me. But yeah, he says he's like the mayor of it. And he has a lot of thoughts and opinions and very like First Amendment-y things about cannibalism. So. He's not really shying away from his internet presence about it. So I watched this YouTube video by the internet investigator on a Reddit thread about this topic, and she did some pretty good research about the cannibal chat rooms and Paraloco specifically. Her video was cute. She had a little lava lamp in the background. Her eye makeup was like all blue and pretty. So you go, girl. Um, so this, this next little bit is going to be from her. Um, she She did go and find some of the archives. So that was really cool. She had this one that was on the Cannibal Cafe forum, and it's a writing from Paraloco explaining how to impale a woman without actually killing her, as well as advice on how to properly live roast this woman without causing all of these unfavorable things to develop inside of her body as her organs essentially begin to melt from the inside out. So I'm sure you can imagine the kinds of like odors and liquids and things that your body would make as you're literally burning alive. He also suggests different drugs that he's used that women have said made their experiences more enjoyable. So I guess each time he tried a different method to see what was the best. All of this to say, and let me add, that Paraloco claims to only have ever involved consenting adults in his fantasies. So, quote fantasies. So, it I mean, it seems when you read these things, it's like very detailed. He's like, this is the temperature you should do it at. This is the rod that you should put through her body. This is the exact measurement of the drug you should give her. And the internet investigator was saying that she thinks that he might have some sort of medical background because of the way that he was talking about the medications and all of that good stuff. Like, he seemed very knowledgeable about it. I don't know if that's true, but I thought that was interesting that she was able to kind of come to that um, conclusion. She also claims that apparently Paraloco has been linked to two homicide cases. This is true. One directly spawned from discussions that occurred on the Cannibal Cafe forum site. The first one I was already planning to discuss today is the case of Armin Myways and Burned Jurgen Bronzes. Bronze. <laughs> Burned Jurgen Bronze. So I'll save the details for this one until we get to that part of the episode. But the other case that Paraloco has been associated with is the case of Sharon Lopatka and Robert Frederick. This is so interesting because it occurred in my home state of North Carolina. We're just a bunch of little freaks now, aren't we? So basically, Sharon wanted to be murdered and Robert wanted to murder. So it appears that Sharon was sexually tortured, strangled, and buried in Robert's backyard in a three-foot grave. Yeah, like he couldn't even be bothered to give her a six-foot grave. Paraloco knew both of the involved parties, and he claimed that they were both, quote, very nice people. Sharon ultimately died in 1996. According to Wikipedia, Sharon was an internet entrepreneur in Hampstead, Hampstead, Maryland, and Robert was a computer analyst from North Carolina. So it seems she traveled to have this request fulfilled, which I guess 
if you're willing to go to this extent and you really want this to happen, of course you're going to travel. It's not like you just knock on your neighbor's door like, hey, um, I was thinking of being murdered. Do you think you can help me out? Like, you have to find the right person. So I guess that makes sense. This was apparently one of the first cases where police were actually able to solve the crime based on information they discovered in emails, which is so crazy to me that they just had these conversations via email, especially considering that she was an internet entrepreneur, which is an owner, founder, or manager of an internet-based business undertaking who makes money through risk and or initiative. That's really vague, I know, but that was what I found about what an internet entrepreneur is. And Robert was a computer analyst. And a common theme was all these people that I'm talking about, they're all like somehow related to like technology. So I guess the internet was just so new at that time that people didn't realize what we know now about how long our information lives on the net. So back to that WordPress, Crypt3IA, they did a lot of the dark web snooping for me and they wrote about how easy it was for him to find all of these archives of, you know, Necrobabes, Cannibal Cafe. And he said that even though this was happening in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was still a ton of traceable information on these archives. And he was even able to find some of the people in these forums today. Like, he traced them back to, like, what they're doing today. They probably have, like, grandchildren and shit. And he said that it was relatively easy. So luckily this guy is a nice guy, but can you imagine you're going for a job one day and they deny you because a background check came back with conversations you had with someone over 20 years ago about eating each other. I mean, I don't know how background checks work necessarily, but maybe that would come up. I don't know. The internet is a beautiful and terrifying place, my friends, and I am learning that currently. So this feels like a natural time to bring up Armin and Burned. So Armin frequented the Cannibal Cafe forum a lot. This case was ultimately what brought the site to its final days, because once he was investigated and caught for the murder of Burned, It was obvious that he had been frequenting the site. He was using the alias Frankie. It's going to be really strange talking about this because I'm trying to remain neutral in telling the story, given that the murder we're about to discuss was technically consensual, though not in the eyes of the law. A lot of things are against the law that shouldn't be. But when I learn about a true crime case, particularly of the homicidal variety, I always picture the murderer and the victim in my mind in a specific way. The murderer is this dark, human-shaped, shadowy entity, and I imagine the victim as this fully developed human full of love and light. That is if the case is relatively cut and dry. I know that there's always two sides to a story, that sometimes murder isn't necessarily intentional or even considered murder for that matter, but like I'm thinking of, I don't know, like Ted Bundy and his victims. Obviously, Ted Bundy is a creature sent straight from the depths of hell to torment the human souls on this earth, and we could get all into the nature versus nurture, which is very, very real. I'm not saying it's not. But for the most part, I think we can mostly all agree that Ted Bundy, bad, his victims, probably good. With this case, I automatically want to be negative toward Armin, but I also have to give him credit to some extent, because consent was the only way that he was able to commit this murder. Like, he wouldn't have done it if he didn't have someone who consented to it. My question is, is murder still the right word when consent is involved? Like how we call manslaughter manslaughter instead of murder, which, by the way, I feel like it should be the other way around because manslaughter is so scary sounding. I remember when I first learned that word as a kid and I was like, what the actual fuck? I think I learned it on South Park. I think Butters kills somebody by accident at, like, a 
a show where he's dancing or something, like his shoe flies off and like kills somebody. I don't know. But I was like, Dad, what's manslaughter? And because it just sounds so scary. But murder feels like there's an implied consent violation. I think that is true. (laughs) There is probably an implied consent violation. And Armin was super knowledgeable about how to go about it. Similar to how Pero Loco was providing tips on how to roast women alive. So we're going to talk about an archive that I believe the the internet investigator discussed in her YouTube video. There's this archived post from Frankie, aka Armin, in his Cannibal Cafe forum handle, where he responded to someone who was seeking a butcher. So the original post is not archived, but based on the response, you can basically determine what OP was looking for. So Armin basically breaks down the math of how much the man weighed and how much edible meat would be harvested from his body. And then he explained that if everyone was eating very generous servings of OP, then they'd need roughly 70 people to attend the feast, and that would be incredibly unlikely to happen and just difficult to organize in general. OP wanted to be deep fried while alive and eaten by a group of people. And by the way, I'm saying OP, I know not everybody knows what that means. It means original poster. So the person who set up the original thread and was like, hey, I want to be butchered and fried and eaten, that's OP, original poster. So OP wanted to be deep fried. I wonder if Armin's math was correct. Like, he sat down and calculated it out. Or was he just trying to, like, pull shit out of his ass in order to get OP to just let him have him to himself? Because as we'll learn here soon, Armin kept Burns' remains in his freezer after his death and ate his body parts over a period of time. So, maybe he wanted to re-up on his human meat stockpile, and he said that he would share the meat with his other cannibal friends, so... It's posts like these that lead people to believe that Armin actually killed more times than once, but that Burned was just the one who got him caught. Or not not that Burned got him caught, but Armin was being sloppy and, like, we'll get into it. But, yeah, and then Armin saying, like, oh, I'll share your meat with my friends. How many cannibal friends do you just, like, casually have around that you'll, like, have over for a dinner party? I mean, I'm sure it happens. And that's, oh, God, I just, one thing leads me to the next, but... What I'm talking about now is just the people who are ballsy enough or maybe stupid enough to talk about this stuff on the internet, but you know there has to be, statistically, there has to be actual cannibals out there doing the damn thing and keeping that shit on the down low, and that's what's crazy to me. Let's go back to the murder. One of the craziest parts of this murder, to me, is that Armin and Burned decided to record this. The video was used during the trial against Armin, and you can actually find bits and pieces of it on the internet. I didn't see any videos of it. I did find some screenshots of the video on a Reddit thread. It's incredibly graphic in nature, so I wouldn't really recommend anyone to look it up if you're not interested in seeing gore. I personally wish I had found the video because because I'm a, I'm a fan of the macabre. I'm not going to lie. I did speak with my therapist about this. Maybe some of you guys will feel better hearing this. I spoke with my therapist about why I like to subject myself to such graphic material all the time. And she said that it's actually really common for humans to feel this way because we hear awful stories of the things that humans have gone through throughout history. And we want to understand what the experience is like without actually having to experience it. This is why we see such a large crowd of people who enjoy learning about true crime nowadays and why back in the times before having an actual protocol for handling crime scenes existed, entire towns would literally flock to the scene of horrific murders and quite literally invite themselves in and just walk all over evidence. Not that they could use it back then anyway, but you know what I mean. And, like, they would 
take, like, I feel like there were so many axe murderers back in the day. Like, in the 1800s, there'd always be, like, this super Christian family that bought a farm in Maine, and there's a dad with, like, 14 kids, and then he's obviously mentally unwell, undiagnosed, but it was back in the day, so they didn't do that, and then he fucking just slaughters his whole family. And then you hear, like, the town goes and they're like, oh, I'm going to keep the axe as a trophy and I want to take a brick out of the house where the child was murdered. Like, weird shit. We've always been this way. That's also why we have websites like LiveLeak, which was sadly shut down in May of 2021. Upset about that. And the now defunct Rotten.com, which I was too young to, like, really get to experience, but the archives are fun. And I know I'm leaving a lot off of this list, but you get the picture. Promise I'm not alone in my pursuit of all things morbid and gory. I just can't help it, okay? And the internet makes it even worse because, I mean, first of all, we're not even supposed to know this many people. We're not supposed to take in this much information as animals. Like, and now we hear, like, for example, when I log onto my work computer every day and I open up internet, or not, not Internet Explorer, but I guess, what am I using? Microsoft Edge. It has, like, the suggested articles. Literally all of them are so fucked up. It's like, two infants were shot in the head and obliterated. This mother, like, kidnapped her son and raped him. Like, it's, uh, I should have triggered warning whatever I just said, but it's literally that graphic. And I'm like, this is my work computer. Like, why is this suggested? I didn't look this up. And I've seen, I've been in calls where people screen share their screens with me and they'll pull up their little Microsoft Edge and it also has those kinds of fucked up stories suggested. It's always about school shootings and murder, and it's just sad. So I think partially we're being, like, brainwashed into being sad and scared all the time, but partially we're curious because, like, what the fuck? 1,000 tangents later. Wow. And I'm going to tell you what happened between Armand and Burned. So like we mentioned before, Armin and Burned were both frequent users of the Cannibal Cafe forum. Armin was born on December 1st, 1961. So we have another Sagittarius man. Lord help me. I cannot. I will not. He is from Germany, and he worked as a computer repair technician, so another computer guy. I'm wondering if hardware was his specialty, because he left quite the internet trail. And obviously so did a lot of other people in this chat room, but his mark was just undeniable. His Wikipedia page claims that in an interview with police, he said his cannibalistic fantasies were inspired by the tale of Hansel and Gretel in his adolescent years. According to The Guardian, Armin confessed later on during the trial that, quote, he had fantasized about having a blonde younger brother who he could keep forever by consuming him, unquote. This sounds eerily similar to Mr. Jeffrey Dahmer, who wanted to create a zombie-esque boyfriend who he could keep forever and that they would never be able to leave him. Armin is also known as the Rotenberg Cannibal or the Master Butcher. The term Master Butcher is actually in German, but I'm not German and I don't want to butcher it, But so I didn't say it in German. Also, I kind of wanted to set up that joke. So I, I wish I could give you a quick history of Burned. But there really isn't much about him on the internet, except the fact that Armin ate him, which is just sad. From what I can scrape together about him, Burned was a 43-year-old engineer from Berlin. Maybe Mr. Burned knew a thing or two about keeping quiet on the internet back in the day. An article posted by The Guardian says that on the outside, Burned seemed rather normal. He was a financially successful engineer, his girlfriend lived with him, all the typical pillar of the community type stuff. Honestly, that's kind of like the bare minimum to me, but whatever. Later on during the trial, prosecutors claim that 
Bronze was suffering from a severe psychiatric disorder and a strong desire for self-destruction. So that's a quote. His girlfriend also said that they broke up because while they were having a decent enough sex life, he told her that he was also sexually attracted to men, and that was not okay with her, apparently. I mean, she didn't say that it wasn't okay with her, but she said that's why they broke up, so obviously it wasn't okay. This is also where I would like to throw in that some sources referred to Armin and Burned as gay lovers. According to the Daily Mail, they had sex prior to them initiating the cannibalistic activities. So I'm sure you guys are tired of me just rambling. Let's talk about what actually happened. So Armin posted on the Cannibal Cafe forum one day that he was, quote, looking for a normally built 18 to 25-year-old to be slaughtered and then consumed. And Burns signed up to make the fantasy a reality. Armin wanted to eat human flesh, but only consensually. And Byrne wanted to be eaten and to end his life, so it seemed like the perfect opportunity. Apparently, other people responded to this thread but backed out, and of course, Armin was only willing to do this with someone who would consent. There was some communication that went back and forth for some time between the two of them, but honestly, it seemed like they were able to make it happen relatively quickly because Armin posted this thread in March of, 20, or March of 2001, and by March 9th, the deed was done. I found this interaction between Armin and Burned in a Harper's Magazine article online. It was taken from a transcript of their conversation that occurred on March 6, 2001. This was published in a book called Interview with a Cannibal, The Secret Life of the Cannibal from Rottenburg by Gunter Stompf, published in Germany. I'm not going to read it word for word, but the gist of the conversation is the two men discussing how excited they are to be meeting up in only a few days. They both seem nervous, but I would say probably more of that excited butterfly type of nervous than actual nerves. You know what I mean. Armin tells Byrne that he's never actually eaten human flesh, because it's not like you can just pick it up at the supermarket, unfortunately. Armin does say, however, that he has drawn his own blood with a needle and drank it, as well as drank his own blood after an injury. He says that blood, and this is a quote, Blood is the juice of life. It contains everything a person needs for nutrition, unquote. End quote? I keep saying unquote in this episode. I don't know what the right one is. They mean the same thing. They then go on to discuss that Burns' penis will likely be spongy and full of blood. And they also talk a little bit about consent. Armin invited Burned over to his place And according to The Guardian, Mr. Bronze swallowed 20 sleeping tablets and half a bottle of schnapps before Myways cut off Bronze's penis with his agreement and fried it for both of them to eat. Which my first thought is, how the hell is Burned waking up after taking 20 sleeping pills and drinking half a bottle of schnapps to eat his own penis? Also, I'd like to add, I've seen some sources say, that it was a bottle of cough syrup and not schnapps, but, like, either way, you get the effect that this was having unburned. And I like to say people's first names, so, like, burned bronze. So if you hear me say burned and bronze interchangeably, that's the same person. And, like I mentioned earlier, all of this is on video. Burned had originally wanted Armin to physically bite his penis off with his teeth, and the chat interaction I mentioned previously does allude to this, but this proved too difficult to execute, so they cut it off with a knife. They attempted to eat his penis on video as well, but I guess the penis is incredibly tough to chew, so it wasn't as smooth of an experience as they'd anticipated. According to Armin's Wikipedia page, which references a show called Body Shock on Channel 4 TV UK, Myways then fried the penis in a pan with salt, pepper, wine, and garlic. He then fried it with some of bronze fat, but by then it was too burnt to be consumed. 
He then chopped the penis up into chunks and fed it to his dog. Um, and that was the end of the quote. Afterward, Byrne took a bath and Armin read a Star Trek book before ultimately putting Byrne out of his misery in the morning by giving him a kiss goodbye and stabbing him in the neck, taking his life. After he killed Byrne, he hung his body on a meat hook. And again, this is all on a four-hour-long videotape, and it was evidenced in the courtroom. Armin then cut up Byrne's body and kept his meat stored in the freezer. He ate it over the course of a few months. I think it was like 10 months. He buried Byrne's skull in his garden, and he also mentioned that he ate Byrne with a bottle of red wine and claims that he tasted like pork. According to The Guardian, over the next few weeks, yeah, here it is, he defrosted and cooked parts of Mr. Bronze in olive oil and garlic, eventually consuming 20 kilograms of human flesh before police finally turned up at his door. And I just looked it up. 20 kilograms is about 44, 45 pounds. So that's a lot. In December of 20... I keep wanting to say 20-something because that's how we say it now. In December of 2002, Armin was arrested. Apparently at the time, cannibalism had not been criminalized yet in Germany. So this was a tricky case for German lawyers, and this definitely set a precedent. The court case was interesting to say the least. They obviously have the interactions from the Cannibal Cafe Forum as evidence, and they have the fucking video of the whole shebang. But in this video, Bernd also clearly states that he is consenting to everything that's happening and about to happen. Also, I didn't see anything about whether this video was distributed to people, like if he sold this or just shared it with people, but I would probably think maybe. Just based on the way he was, he was very open and like shared a lot of information on the internet like he should not have. But yeah, so basically Bernd is in the video and he's like, yeah, let's do this. Like, cut off my penis and eat me, please. According to Armin's Wikipedia page, in January of 2004, Armin was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to eight years and six months in prison. And I believe that is just because they had the consenting audio of Byrne. But in a retrial in May of 2006, he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Armin spoke of Byrne as if they were lovers. He said that eating his meat made him feel closer to him. And he also claimed that his English-speaking skills got better after eating burned. I guess burned could speak English a little bit better. This experience only made him want to try again, and he actually met up with five other men that responded to his threads on the Cannibal Cafe forum, but he didn't actually kill them. I just can't help but let my mind wander, though, and entertain the thought that he may very well have had another experience where he actually killed and ate someone. It's probably unlikely, though, given that he was busted because of how open he was being on the internet. I'm sure you don't just stroll down the street and run into someone who's willing to let you eat them, so I would assume that he would have had to resort to the chat rooms to find another willing participant. A BBC News article posted in 2003 that Armin did have regrets and that he was writing memoirs from prison in the hopes to deter other people from actually living out their fantasies, but there wasn't much on Armin's guilt and regrets, and for the most part it seems like he enjoyed himself overall, so I think he might regret the actions because now he's in jail or prison for the rest of his life, but who knows. He also warned during his trials that there are a lot more active cannibals than we may think. Dun, dun, dun. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I really think that he, like, regrets it. I mean, maybe it seems like it was a pretty all-consuming experience in his life. Like, that was a lifestyle for him. So, I don't know. I can't speak for him. But there wasn't a ton of information about his regrets. It was mainly just about him talking about how it made him feel and stuff and how he continued to seek out these experiences. So the Armin Maiwes and Burned Bronze case inspired films, music, movies, and a ton of different mediums. 
And by the way, I do want to say I'm sorry if I'm saying my was weird or my ways. Um, there's a way that you say the W in German that I don't think my mouth can do. But yeah, inspired a ton of films, music, movies, different mediums, and this podcast because I actually learned about the Armin Maiwes case on And That's Why We Drink podcast. Shout out. I fucking love them. Yeah, and that's where I found out about this case, and it kind of led me down a rabbit hole into looking to, into some of this other stuff. But I don't necessarily side against Armin in this scenario. I think that Paraloco might have a point that people should be able to engage in such activities as long as they're consenting. But I think where it gets messy is that these activities can't be monitored or regulated, obviously. So it's like, how do we know that they consented? Like, yes, in this case, we had a video, but I'm sure that people could argue that he was coerced. Also, small tangent. I found this very interesting, but there was a New York Police Department cop named Gilberto Valle who has been coined the cannibal cop. In 2013, Valle was arrested for having online conversations with someone who had killed and eaten a black woman and a white child. Valle was accused of scheming online with at least three people to abduct, rape, torture, cook, and eat women he targeted using a police database. Prosecutors also made the point that Valle, as a police officer charged with knowing and enforcing the law, was voluntarily communicating with an individual who claimed to have murdered and eaten a child and who desired to commit other murders with Valle, according to the Daily Mail. According to Wikipedia, Valle was convicted of conspiracy to kidnap based on his communications in online fetish chat rooms. His wife was the person who discovered these conversations, and apparently he had been talking about, like, cooking and eating her and, you know, can you imagine? Oh my god. Imagine finding that and not knowing that, like, your husband is into that kind of stuff and you're just like, what the actual fuck? He was ultimately convicted, but later a judge overturned his conviction on the basis that his activities were purely of the roleplay variety and nothing more. I typed in cannibal chat rooms on Google and I found this on the second page of search results. I wonder why it's not on the first. Hmm. I think the lesson to be learned is to just be careful with how far you're willing to go when you're writing out your fantasies, because if this man really is innocent and just has some serious fetishes, then that sucks that his life had to be turned upside down over it. Okay, so obviously that was the end of the Cannibal Cafe. It was ultimately shut down with a denial of service attack by the German authorities in late 2002, according to Josh Kirp. A denial-of-service attack is an attack meant to shut down a machine or network, making it inaccessible to its intended users. DOS attacks accomplish this by flooding the target with traffic or sending it information that triggers a crash. I actually have an information systems minor, and I took a class where we, like, looked at... I can't remember. I'll have to find the website and share it with you guys. It's kind of interesting. You can look at this map of... It shows, like, the globe and all the different DOS attacks and other similar types of attacks that are being sent from computers all over the place to other computers. Like, you can literally just watch them happening real time, and you can see, like, where the different parts of the world are more heavily, probably have some sketchy, weird stuff on their servers and stuff. It's really interesting. So, obviously, the people want what they want, and a DOS isn't going to stop them. So, it's the internet. More websites are going to pop up, and they did. I mean, you can just type in cannibal chat rooms and forums on Google and stuff comes up. Like, I did that. Free cannibal chat rooms on Wire Club. 
Um, a 2014 Vice article claims that Google Groups and ExperienceProject.com are ripe with cannibal conversations. Experience Project, it looks like it was shut down in 2016. And I don't even, does Google Groups still happen? I don't know. But there were some screenshots in the Vice article. It was really interesting. Maybe you want to check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. And I, I thought that article was interesting. And we're going to talk about an article in a moment by Josh Kerp. And both of these articles actually went out of their way to interview or just kind of question some of the people on these websites who were like, eat me. And they were really nice and like explained why they have those kinds of fetishes and, you know, where it started. A lot of it is just like little kids saw some like weird cartoon or something as a child and they were like, I want to be a pig that gets eaten. Like just weird things that like incited this inside of them. A lot of the forums I mentioned though on the clear net are dated because I'm assuming that they've taken their juicy conversations to the dark web, as one does. It just seems like the logical choice. I was talking to a friend of mine who will be joining me soon for an episode about the dark web. It's going to be like a general episode. I have some other like specific kind of dark web conversations I want to have, but we're going to do like a history and we're going to go through the dark web and I'm going to, we're going to record as we're walking through it. I'm going to describe what we're seeing. And he was telling me, because I asked him, I was like, hey, have you ever seen any cannibalism stuff on the dark web, you know, when you're just casually looking around? And he was like, you know, I haven't because I'm not looking up that type of shit, Zoe. And I was like, okay, fair enough. But he was telling me that chat rooms in general, but particularly on the dark web, are a lot more dangerous than just like forums or just like even browsing on websites. People can find you much easier that way, particularly if you're just on your own computer using your own Wi-Fi and VPNs. Forums are easier to be a fly on the wall for, and you're not in as much risk, so that's probably what we'll be looking at. But there is just something so scary and exhilarating about actually being in the live action of a chat room. I don't know. I just, I love the risk. I love risk from a distance. I don't want to be involved in it, but I want to, like, research it, which is why I do this podcast. Yeah, so we won't be in any chat rooms. We'll be just taking some quick looks, but that makes me wonder if we go back to Crypt3IA's WordPress blog where he was saying that he couldn't find much about the dark um, cannibalism on the dark web. I wonder if that's why, because, like, people are scared. Like, if they really are just wanting to do a roleplay thing, maybe they're like, holy fuck, I don't want somebody who's actually a cannibal to come in this chat room and, like, you know, find my IP address and show up and eat me. But anyways, let's move on. Necrobabes and the Cannibal Cafe Forum walked so that dulcet girls could run. Which I'm kind of bummed that that's how you say it, dulcet. It's D-O-L-C-E-T-T. My brain wanted to say it kind of like dulce de leche, which would make sense because it's like, you want to eat the the ladies? I hate that. (laughs) Dulcet Girls is a website that was stood up by everyone's favorite cannibal, Mr. Pero Loco himself. Pero Loco and a lot of other people within the cannibalism community are really into gynophagia. And if you don't remember, which I don't blame you because I've honestly dropped a lot on you guys already, gynophagia is when you're into cooking and consuming women specifically. And if you're a woman who would like to partake in gynophagia activities, then you are considered to be a dulcet girl. This particular form of cannibalism focuses a lot on the cooking aspect. So you'll see lots of discussions and artwork of women being roasted, deep fried, and undergoing various other ways of cooking meat. And typically they're doing so while being alive. So it's got to have that torture aspect to it. So like I said, dulcetgirls.com, that's one of the main 
websites, at least on the clearnet for this kink or fetish, I accessed it kind of. So this is the message that you see when you access the website initially. This website contains mature content designed for and by adults. There are discussions and images which may appeal to your most depraved base instincts and should not be viewed by those who are not considered adults in their particular geopolitical reality. And Peril Loco says that, like, I've seen him say that in multiple areas, geopolitical reality. So he mentioned something about minors and adults, and I was like, anyways, geopolitical reality, whatever the fuck that means. Back to the quote. If you're under the age of maturity, dislike, or do not enjoy images or topics having to do with sex or are incapable of separating artistic fantasy from reality, please leave this site. And then it also says, you understand that you are wholly liable and responsible for any disclosures and further responsibility for any legal ramifications that may arise from viewing, reading, or downloading of materials and or images contained within this website and that the creator, webmaster, and affiliates cannot be held responsible for any legal ramifications that may arise as a result of fraudulent entry into or use of this website and or the materials, images, information contained therein. God, I need a sip of water after that one. That was so long. Um, It also mentions the website was being worked on, and the last update was as of September 25th, 2005. After reading all that, I was still like, yeah, I'm going to go in it. And so I click the link and it's another one of those websites that you have to have a username and password for. So multiple sources say that Paraloco claims there's over 40,000 people within the website. And I think it might still be functioning because you can still just go to it. But he said that for every one man, there's a woman. And he's even mentioned that there's like lots of different people involved. Like there's U.S. congressmen, which shocker after fucking everything that has come out in the last two years. No way. And before that. But you know what I mean? Like particularly the last few years has been a little crazy. I really want to just get in there and see it. Like I just want to see it. I just want to see it. But, you know, I'm not about to go through that vetting process. And who knows? Maybe it's not even actually working in today's time, 2022 when I'm recording this. So I found this on Urban Dictionary. Dulcet. It's a fetish about rape, murder, and gynophagia. And then the example says, you know that dulcet girl Janine? She was so tasty. And this is posted by Pussy Slayer, but Pussy is spelled P-U-S-I. Pussy Slayer Bob, February 19th, 2018. So I think it's worth mentioning where dulcet came from. So it appears that, you know, around... 2000, there was this Canadian artist and his name was Dulcet, or maybe that was like his screen name or something, but he specifically was drawing gynophagic art. So lots of women being roasted and very graphic things that people seemed to really enjoy on Necrobabes and the Cannibal Cafe forum and yada, yada, yada. People were really enjoying it. And so it just became Dulcet Girls. Like, and I'm pretty sure that was, like, probably really exciting for him. And he even allowed Paraloco to, like, post his art on his websites and, like, get paid for it somehow. Like, there was some sort of arrangement. So it was, like, a big deal and really exciting for them, I guess. So they kind of, like, created this stereotype. Like, obviously, gynophagia was its own thing before. But now it's, like, got this hip, cool term, dulcet. So remember how I mentioned that Paraloco's daughter was on these websites? So I think it's safe to say that she's a dulcet girl. Y'all have no idea how badly I want to get on the site. 
I wonder what the vetting process is like and like who's responding to all the requests, who's setting up these usernames and maintaining the websites. Like I have so many questions and this might be a good time to bring up the Holy Church of Dulcet. There's this weird rumor going around that Pero Loco took his interest to an extreme and started a cult or a religious group called the Holy Church of Dulcet. If you look up a picture of this man, there's like one picture that like every fucking source has of him and he just looks absolutely crazy. Like he, I'll have what he's having. Like he's on one. There isn't a ton of information out about the Holy Church of Dulcet. In fact, I found it really difficult to find anything to substantiate this other than in an interview where Pero himself jokingly called himself the true prophet of the Holy Church of Dulcet. There's also this weird baseball card-esque, or maybe even like Yu-Gi-Oh card is probably better, picture. It's like a picture of him with this woman, and it's the picture I'm talking about. And this beautiful woman, like very 90s beautiful. And I saw it on Crypt3IA's WordPress that goes into more detail about this, but that was pretty much all I could find on it. And now I want to read what was at the bottom of this, what I'm calling a baseball card for cannibals. I just want you guys to know what I had to see with my own eyes. It says, Dulcet, California, June 1st, 1996. Paraloco, self-styled prophet and religious leader of the Holy Church of Dulcet, announced today that his, quote, church has been formally recognized as the official state religion of the Central American Republic of Isla Providencia, the island nation of former Colombian province laying in the Caribbean still holds strong ties to its Mayan past. The one true prophet, as he is known to his followers, has said that his, quote, minions will now be free to openly practice their religious beliefs. Pictured with him is a recent convert known only as Lori, who will be the first woman to submit to the sacred ritual of the steel kiss when the prophet and his followers take up official residence in the capital city next month. So that was a lot. Here's some examples of the application. So this is the one, this is his fucking daughter. It says, daddy, I'm ready. Hope I taste as good as mom. Name, Chelsea Loco, age 19. Date of birth, May 3rd, 1981. Height, 5'6", weight 108 pounds. General, lean, small, firm breasts, trained in oral, anal, toilet, and torture slavery. Termination preference is live roasting or live butchering. And it says, voluntary. Chairman Pero Loco's daughter. It says voluntary because remember I said some of these say involuntary. This one, for example, involuntary donor, Dr. Gong. Name, Ashley Bashum. She's 21, born in 1980. She is six feet tall, 125 pounds, so she's very lean. Tall, lean girl, trained in oral sex technique, 34B breast, good rump roast. Termination preferences are hanging or beheading, possible breeder. Ashley is an involuntary cow nominated by an ex-boyfriend who delivered her to our stockyards. Ashley is 21 and 6 feet tall. She weighs just under 130 pounds. We were very impressed by the size of her breasts and the quality of her juicy fillet. C&MHFSA encourages involuntary additions to our herd. Trade in your wife or girlfriend or your sister. Cash payment available. Yeah. Yeah. So according to a 2011 Pero Loco interview with Josh Kirp of All.com, Dulcet Girls, also known as DGF, so the Dulcet Girls Forum website is what they're referring to, was originally set up to be a subscription-based commercial website operating out of Toronto. But after three lucrative months, a credit company clearance, quote, cut us off at the knees. So this is a quote of Pero Loco. 
He added that the company that cut ties with them is, quote, the same company that processes every kiddie porn site on the planet. We're probably the only fetish group that the kiddie porn people look down on. I guess because they're afraid we're going to have kiddie snuff porn, end quote. Today, they take donations via snail mail rather than using PayPal or other transactional platforms as a method to avoid outside interference. The website is heavily monitored by the FBI for obvious reasons, so people are much more discreet about requesting to meet up with each other than some of those insane archive posts that we had talked about earlier. They're like Craigslist ads. But first of all, I just want to go, I want to backtrack for a second. The fact that he's like, yeah, I know that this credit company works with kitty porn and I'm going to use them. I mean, I guess you don't have a lot of options when you're a cannibal, but wow. According to Paraloco, out of every hundred women who come into DGF, there will be one who might actually extend herself to meeting with another human face to face. Wow, that was weird. Another human face to face for the specific purpose of beginning a dulcet-ish relationship. And for every 1,000 of those people, there might be one who'd go all the way. According to Kerp, Loco maintains that if he saw something that he thought worth mentioning, he would report it to authorities. I asked for an example, and he said, Let's suppose I got a personal message from someone who I believe is fairly serious about the whole dulcet thing, and this person told me that he was going to go hang out at an elementary school and kidnap a couple of the girls who are students there. He'd report that. But if, on the other hand, he were to say, Look, I was talking to this girl's mom, and she's got a daughter who's eight years old. If mom and I get together and I take her down to Mexico and we do the deed, what do you think I should do about the kids? I wouldn't report that. So that's Paraloco. That's not me. Paraloco said he wouldn't report that. Which is fucked. I don't need to explain that. That's fucked. In this same article, Paraloco claims that consenting to being killed is not the same as murder. And I think that's funny because I basically said the same thing earlier, like, while I was researching. It's like, it needs a different name, I guess. I guess just assisted suicide. (laughs) I mentioned that my friend and I are going to be doing an episode on the dark web. We might try to take a look at some cannibal content for you all, report back to you. Unfortunately, that's not the type of stuff he looks at. Like I said, when he goes window shopping online, he didn't have anything to report back to me. And I do not have the skills, knowledge, or the balls to do that alone. So I won't be doing that alone. But be on the lookout for that. I think that's going to be a really fun episode. All right. We're about to talk about my thoughts, which is what this whole podcast is. It's just me talking. But... I think these people are insanely creative. They want to be roasted alive and eaten in the most incredible ways, and I I have to admire their imaginations. I think the reason that I have this podcast is because, while yes, I am creative in the sense that I like to make art. If you didn't know that, I make art, and you can buy it. I like to make art, and I can appreciate art. But I don't really have the capacity to let my mind wander like this, to like come up with scenarios in my mind like this. And when I say like this, I don't mean that I wish I could have fantasies about being eaten alive or eating people. I just mean that I wish I was able to lose myself in thought in the same way. To just let the mind wander and come up with whatever the fuck it comes up with. I guess I technically could if I just tried, but I was never the type to read fantasy books or like watch sci-fi movies or anything like that. I never drew, like, weird characters and creatures and whatever. I feel like those kids were always off in their own worlds, fighting dragons, being abducted by aliens. I just sat around, like, painting and playing with dolls and going shopping. I didn't have a creative imagination in the sense that I could just come up with fictional concepts like authors and screenwriters and producers can. I I don't have the time, like, I think of, I haven't even watched or read the Harry Potter movies, don't come for me, 
But I know that, like, Lombardium Lovosa, whatever the fuck it is, like, stuff like that, I would not, I would not have thought of, like, a spell and a spell name and a wizard and, like, all these rules of the wizard. You know what I mean? That's just not something that, like, my brain does. (laughs) I dream and fantasize within the earthly realm, aside from, like, my general belief in aliens, the universe, and spirit. Like, my understanding of aliens is what I've been told what aliens are, you know? And then I just kind of believe that they exist. I'm not, like, imagining that there's some creatures or like I'm not imagining like what their world might look like I'm just like okay yeah they obviously exist and just to clear things up I'm not saying that just because you were into reading fantasy books as a child or like you liked I don't know like live action role play or movies or whatever that means that you're you have taboo kinks and fetishes or fantasize about unsavory things that's not what I'm saying but I imagine that if you like those things you have a stronger capacity and likelihood to be able to imagine these things or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Don't ostracize me. This shit is so interesting to me. And I'm just really curious about all of the people's life stories who frequent these sites. Like, what events led you to this point? I mean, obviously, we talked about, like, some of those guys that were like, yeah, when I was, like, five years old, I just decided I wanted to be a pig. Like, okay, but did something happen early in life that exposed you to cannibalism and sex and causing an association between the two? Did you accidentally stumble upon a weird porn site one day and you never looked back? Did you read a book or watch a movie that promoted an erotic cannibalist agenda? Or is it just like natural and you somehow figured out that you're into that? Are people who are into cannibalism genetically or psychologically different from people who aren't? Can they smell other humans in a way that triggers their salivary glands in the same way that the smell of garlic triggers mine? Like, I can't stop asking questions I literally need to know. Some people it's sexual, some people it's not. How, like, what about that arouses you? Like, how does that, how does your brain start making those connections. I'm definitely the type to fall down an internet rabbit hole after I hear about something I just can't let go of. I really want to go and like meet up with, not meet up with, but have a conversation with that guy Crypt3IA or whatever. I want to, I want to see the people who were on these archives, like what they're doing now. I just, I'm so fascinated. I hyperfixate. So I made a fucking podcast so that I can do deep dives into these kinds of things living vicariously through all of these people without the consequences of their actions. I love people watching, and this podcast is the ultimate form of people watching. People are weirdos. I'm a fucking weirdo. All right, I feel like I'm missing something. I realize that was a lot, but I feel like I'm missing something. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you made it this far. Definitely give us a follow at Profskep Podcast. That's at P-R-O-F. S-K-E-P podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me at not your underscore buttercup on Instagram and Zoe McDaniel 777 on Twitter if you want. And those will obviously be linked in the professional skepticism podcast Instagrams and Twitters. So it's all there. You can find me from one account. They're all linked together. DM me. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about topics. Let's talk about formats. Let's talk about guests. I want to hear what you guys have to say, what you want to see out of this podcast. Maybe you have an idea for me to do a different podcast. I don't know. Let's talk about it. Um, Thank you all for listening so much. Have a good night and stay sus, skeptics.